Hey, I'm Brandon, the online campus pastor here at Big Valley Grace, and thank you for taking a moment to watch this message. It is the teaching portion from one of our live weekend worship gatherings, and we have those every single weekend here online and in person, and I just want to extend an invitation to you to join us. We're just a local church, local body of believers, and we would love if you would join us uh, on a weekend upcoming here sometime soon. Uh, but as we get headed into this message together, a couple things just want to point you to. One is a connect card. If there's any way that, that we can pray for you, if you want to contact us, that connect card form is just a really great way uh, to let us know that you're joining us. Any next steps you want to take, stuff like that is right on there. Also, if you want to bring in offering, a worshipful gift uh, to King Jesus, you can do that right on our give page on our website or via text. So hope you enjoy the unpacking, the unfolding of the word as we look at it together. I want to welcome you here to Big Valley, especially if this is your very first time with us. Welcome to all of you that are online. And uh, it's always fun to be here on the Modesto campus. I spent a lot of time over in series, and great things are happening there, just like things are happening here. Um, there are two things that I know to be true that took place this morning when you woke up. Two things, and they're weighty things, and they're things that every believer needs to kind of think about and, and meditate on. They're, they're, they're weighty things, two, two things. The first one is this. Every day that you wake up, God is there with you. That ought to be one of the first thoughts in your mind. You wake up, the alarm's going off, however it works in your home, man, God is with me today. His love is new every morning. His, his grace, his mercy, his wisdom, his protection. God is with me today. Jesus himself said, I am with you always. And what that means in the Greek when he said always, it, it, it means Always. He is with you always. When you were in La La Land asleep, he wasn't asleep. He was right there with you. Which means all of his characteristics were there with you. Paul said this and 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he said, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? And some of you here, maybe online, you don't realize that. He, he lives in you. When you woke up this morning, he was in you. Man, that is one of those great truths that you gotta kinda hang on to. And it ought to make a difference about how you get out of bed in the morning. Knowing he's with you. You don't have to get up and say, oh God, I hope you're with me today. He is with you. That's the first truth that I know. To be true. There's a second one, though. It's the other side of the coin, and that's this. Every day you wake up, there's evil all around you. 
The first one's kind of fun to think about. And it's good to think about it. But the second truth is every bit as weighty as the first truth. That when you wake up in the morning, there's evil all around you. In fact, Ephesians chapter six says this, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Pastor, when's the day of evil, man? I gotta get that one on my calendar. I gotta put that one in my smartphone. I gotta get that one on my day timer. What's the day of evil? Today. Today's the day of evil. Ever since Genesis chapter three, when Adam disobeyed God and brought sin into the equation of life, every single day since then has been the day of evil. And when you were asleep last night, Jesus didn't go to bed. He was in you wide awake. But also when you went to bed last night, the devil and the demons didn't sleep either. They're awake all night, just trying to figure out how in the world can I mess up your life? How do I mess up your marriage? How can I mess up this family? How can I mess up this business that, where you're just trying to you know, have a Christian business? and how, how do I mess it up? And he's got his PhD in doing that. The Bible says this in 1 Peter chapter five, stay alert. And when you read that in the original language, it's like this, stay alert. He's not goofing around here. Watch out. Imagine Peter standing up here. Hey family at Big Valley Grace, you, you gotta stay alert. You gotta watch out for your great enemy. Sometimes you can think, well, you know, you know, he, he's the church's enemy, he is. He's the missionary's enemy, he is. He's the enemy of those going off to Mexico, he is. He's the pastor's enemy, he is. But it was written to all of us. He's your great enemy. You, you and your spouse, you and your children, your family, your grandkids, your parents. Your great enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. Wow, man, that, that's weighty. That's weighty language. You ever seen those National Geographics where you have the, 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 the lions all golden and it's, and it's going through the golden, you know, weeds and, you know, bushes and, man, you might see its tail and it kind of looks like one of those little weeds, you know. And then there's the wildebeest. <laughs> and the lion is ready. He's stalking the wildebeest. God, through our brother Peter, just gave you some incredible 
imagery of what's happening right now in your life when you woke up this morning. He's just trying to figure out how to mess up your life. And you know what? Maybe some of you, you know, got through yesterday unscathed. Today's a new day. And last night when you were sleeping, the demons had a meeting, okay? He got through yesterday. What are we gonna do today? How are we gonna screw up his life today? It didn't work yesterday, so what do we do today? When he wakes up, how are we going to mess his life up? How are we gonna mess up his marriage? How are we gonna mess up his family, his children? How are we gonna mess up his parents? Yesterday didn't work, but today's a new day. He doesn't ever tire at trying to figure out how to mess your life up. He has his PhD in doing it. And I could put a microphone up here and I'll bet everybody in this room could come up to it and say, hey, let me tell you about a moment when I had the lion on my back. It was a bad season in my life. I wasn't alert. I wasn't watching out. The lion got on me. And maybe because of my praying wife or my praying husband or my praying children or my praying parents or my praying grandparents or my praying church, you know what? The lion got off. Now there were consequences. My life will never be the same. But I've had that lion on my back. I have. In fact, I got scars. You can't see them. And I wouldn't be able to see them on your back. But you got them, right? There was a moment in your life. And if you've lived long enough, you've had many moments where that lion's been all over you like a cheap suit. And you got the claw marks. And I think one of the things that Pastor Joel was hoping when he started this series was that we would take this truth seriously. That yes, every day, man, God's with you. His love, his mercy, his grace, all those things, wonderful. But also your enemies got schemes, got ideas, got plans. And I think most of the time, we get up in the morning and, you know, we go out and we get our coffee and we drink our, you know, tea and we have our post toasties and we get our bagels and we walk out the door and we don't even think about the fact that the devil's out there with a new scheme today and that's just the way he wants it. He doesn't want you thinking about him. And so we kind of go about our day. Never once did we even consider the fact that we got an enemy who's really good at what he does, like really good. You don't have to be a pastor to see all the crummy things that go on, the evil in the world. In fact, this past week, we saw evil up close and personal, didn't we? A very, very evil guy, I hate to even call him that, he was a humanoid, walked onto a campus, 
and killed 19 little kids. 19 little kids who were looking forward to the summer, hanging out and having fun with their friends and going swimming. 19 little children who just wanted to go out and play tetherball or do hopscotch at recess. 19 little innocent kids and two teachers were killed by evil. There's no other way to explain it. It's just evil. But make no mistake about it. Evil's happening all around us. Just pick up the Modesto B on any given day and just read the front page. It's around us. Sometimes it slaps us in the face like what, what took place in Texas. But it's all around us. Let me, let me pray. Father, thank you, God, for listening to us and being in here and all of that. And I just, I just can't go on. I, I got to pray for all of the moms and dads and aunts and uncles and grandma and grandpas, all the friends of these kids. It was brutal, ugly. They'll never forget it. Their lives will forever be changed. I think about the two teachers Wow, one of the husbands just literally had a heart attack over this thing. Lord, may your peace, may the peace of Jesus Christ fill those that are left. Fill, fill me, God. I don't even know any of these kids. And I'm just really grieving over the whole thing. And we know that prayer works. There are some who say it doesn't. It does, we know that the prayers of a righteous man, righteous woman are powerful and effective. That's what James tells us. And so Lord, um, please do your work in that community. And I pray this in your name, amen. So if these two things are true every day, that when you wake up, God's presence is with you. And when you wake up, there's evil all around you. The question that I think we have to ask ourselves as followers of Jesus is, what, what do we do? How do we protect ourselves um, from this evil? Well, that's what this series has been about, okay? So if you have a Bible, you can open it up to Ephesians 6. It'll be on the jumbotrons if you don't have a Bible. And let's just kind of walk through this for a moment. He says, finally, in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It's a good place to start. First John chapter four, verse four says that greater is he that is in us, that's Jesus, than he that is in the world. That's Satan and the demonic. So we know that Jesus, who's in us, if you've given your life to Christ, if you've become a disciple of the Lord, if you've denied yourself, taken up your cross, you're following Jesus, you're a Christian, if that decision was truly genuine, he's in you. And God wants you to know that he's greater than the one who's in the world. Now, He's not saying that the one that's in the world doesn't have any juice, because he does. Just read through the book of Job. And for whatever reason, God gives Job a whole lot of juice, man. The one that's in the world, the evil one, the devil, the demonic, whoo! 
You're no match for the evil one. But the one who's in you is, because he's greater. It goes on and Paul says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So he's got all these schemes out there. The one that worked last night, uh, Gordon, in, in your life, there were schemes yesterday and they didn't work. For whatever reason, your wife was praying, your family was praying for you, people were praying for you, the people in your men's Bible study, they were praying for you. You didn't know about those schemes, but the devil knew about those schemes, and for whatever reason, you got through the night unscathed. Praise God. But today's a new day. There's new schemes. There's new schemes. And not just in Gordon's life or my life, but all of your lives. There's new ones. I don't know what they are. All I know is Satan's been doing this for thousands of years. He's got a lot of schemes. His playbook is pretty big. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in, in heavenly realms. <laughs> Your enemy isn't your spouse. Your enemy is not your kids or your parents. The enemy isn't your boss. The enemy isn't me or the church. Now, Satan is so good at what he does, he'll make you believe or think or feel like it's your spouse. He'll make you think or believe or feel like it's your boss or it's the church or, you know, whatever. But the war ain't against somebody who's got flesh and blood. It's a spiritual one, man. It's a demonic one. So how do, how do you overcome it? How do you overcome the devil? Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able, be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. And then he says this. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which it you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. And so what Paul does is he gives us these six or seven, however you want to look at it, pieces of, of armor, if you will. And he said, because the day is evil, because the devil's got schemes and because the devil's good at what he's, you know, good at all that, here's how we can protect ourselves, which is kind of cool. God didn't create us and put us down here on planet Earth and say, good luck! Hope you make it! Keep your head down! See you on the other side! No. Our loving Father 
gave us some really great information here. He's telling us as children, here's how, you, here's how you're gonna win this battle. Here's how you're battle ready. And I'm just gonna quickly go over the three that Joel looked at last week. You're battle ready when you know and understand God's truth, right? Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And I think it's number one for a reason. I think you could say it's the uh, leader amongst equals. You gotta have them all, but there's a reason why that's the first one. You, you, you have to know and understand the word of God. You'll never win the battle over the enemy unless you know and you understand the scriptures. The great King David said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And the key word there is might not. Just because you know the word of God doesn't mean it's a guarantee that you won't blow it. I can take you back to the very first Bible study ever recorded in Genesis chapter you know, two, where God says, literally it was God. It was God and Adam, that's it. And God says to Adam, don't eat from that tree. It's the very first Bible study ever recorded in scripture. God says, don't eat from that one. Just one verse, one little verse. Adam knew the word of God. He knew it. But he still blew it, right? So just knowing the word of God isn't enough. But if you don't know it, man, you're really toast. I love what Dr. MacArthur said. He said, internalizing the word is a believer's best weapon to defend against encroaching sin. I mean, if God doesn't tell Adam, don't eat from that tree, He's, he's, you know, what is he going to do? He didn't know. But God told him, and he knew it. He still made a crummy decision that impacts all of us to, to this day. The second thing Joel looked at was your battle ready when you understand God's righteousness, right? Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Okay, righteousness is basically about, you know, being right before God. Understanding that you are right before God. And that only happens through a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's only one way you are right with God. And that is you've accepted his son into your life. You've, you've surrendered your life over to him. Uh, uh, you've given your life over to Christ. See, well, however you want to say it. And at that moment, you were made right with God. And what Satan wants to do is, you know, have you wake up in the morning and go, well, you know, what I did last night, I can't be right before God. I'm a loser. I sinned. I did something crummy I shouldn't have done. And so I'm not right before God. And it works because I, I've been doing this for 40 years. Can't tell you how many people come into my office 
who don't think they're right before God. Oh, pastor, you know, I know you're right before. You don't, you don't know what I did last night. I don't, I don't care what you did last night. You're right before him simply because of your relationship with his son. The Bible says in Psalms 34, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. So if you know Christ as your savior, you're righteous, which means the eyes of the Lord are on you. His ears are on you. You don't have to do a bunch of stuff to make yourself righteous. You're simply righteous because of what Jesus did. His eyes are on you simply because of what Jesus did. Now, if the psalmist would have said, hey, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and those that work really hard to live a godly life, I got something else to preach. But it doesn't say that. His eyes are on you if you know Christ because Christ has made you righteous. Then the third piece that Joel looked at last week was your battle ready when you know and understand God's peace. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Knowing that you and God have now made peace with each other. And that's different than being right. These are both kind of positional things. You see, the Bible says that we're powerless, we're ungodly, we're sinners, we're unjustified, we're unsaved, we're the object of God's wrath, we're enemies of God, and the list goes on and on and on and on. That's how the Bible describes us. But Romans chapter five says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we're now righteous, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. There's peace made. We're now friends of God. This morning, I'm on my way here. Happened last night too. And man, I'll tell you what, I was a teenager in my car. I got this sound system that's unbelievable. When I bought the car, I didn't realize it was a beat system. And some of you are going, what does that mean? I didn't know what it meant. I got home, my son said, dude, you got a beat system in your car. I said, hey, what do you think, man? I'm in, I'm hip, I'm cool. And man, last night on my way to church and this morning, I put on my favorite worship song and turned the dial to 11. <laughs> Spinal tap, some of you get that. I am a friend of God. I am a friend. I'm, I'm literally going down the street. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. Who am I that you are thinking of me? I remember the day some of you were here. We actually had Phillips, Craig, and Dean here. Man, this place was packed. And I think Pastor Chad told him my favorite song was I'm a friend of God. And when they got to that song, oh, they called me up on the platform. <laughs> Phillips, Craig, Dean, and Countryman. And I was up here singing it with them. And Dan said, I am a friend of God. You can't listen to that song and not somehow go, wow. You're singing an incredible truth that I 
and not only righteous because of what Jesus did, but God and I are our friends. It's an incredible truth. And what the enemy wants to do, ah, uh, no, come on, you. Those thoughts you just had about that guy who cut you off on the freeway, how can you and God be friends? There's no way you and God are friends. And if he can get you thinking about that kind of stuff, man, he's got you. So in the few minutes I have left, let, let's look at the, the last couple of pieces of armor, okay? Um, you're battle ready when you know and understand God's faithfulness. Verse 16 says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Wow, that's great imagery. Imagine, you know, you got this shield. You're walking around. And all of a sudden, the enemy, nothing. Nothing. You don't have the shield of faith. You're toast. This shield of faith is absolutely critical. This piece of armor is about trusting God. It's about believing God. It's about having faith in God. This is about believing that God is faithful, that God can be trusted to do what he says he'll do. And you'll never win the war over Satan if you don't believe what God says. If you don't have faith in what God says, you'll never win it. You gotta believe that what God said is true and I'm gonna stand behind it. Even when it doesn't make sense. So, you're dating somebody. Man, and holding hands feels good. Hands are all sweaty. Man, this is great. I love it. Then you put your arm around him. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is fantastic. This is great. And you keep dating and dating and dating. And then your hands isn't, isn't as sweaty as it used to be, you know. And it's not as cool to just put your arm around him. And all of a sudden you go, man, I really love this gal. And the gal's saying, man, I really love this guy. And, and so, man, you know, why don't we take this relationship a little farther? I mean, I love her, she loves me, why can't we have sex? I mean, it feels good, right? Hey, God said this, that sex, which is unbelievably awesome, said it's between two people that have entered into a covenantal relationship. That's who it's between. Other than that, I don't want you to do it. Don't want you to do that. It's sinful, it's evil, it's wicked. I don't want my people doing that. And here you are, a believer going, well, you know, God, come on, really? I don't know. I don't know if I believe this. It's 2022. Before I marry the girl, you know, I got to kick the tires, right? 
I gotta, I gotta see if this thing's really a good thing. I mean, what if we're not sexually compat- compatible? It's like, if somebody ever says that to you, just get out. You don't even need to say anything. Just leave and never look back. But this, you're wrestling with this. It's God, I, do I do what God says or do I not? And you decide, nah, God, I'm not gonna follow you in this area of my life. And you take the shield down. Maybe it's an unwant, unwanted pregnancy. Maybe it's some STD, like gonorrhea, VD, herpes. Maybe it's just a broken heart when you break up. You decided to not trust God. You decided not to put your faith in what God said. And so you took the shield down and just left yourself wide open. You know, I know what God says about money and finances and all the stuff, but man, I really want that new ski-doo. Man, I really, Pastor Rick, I really want that ski-doo. I know what God says. You know what? I'm not going to believe what he says, and I'm just going to, and Satan goes, that's good. (laughs) And the next thing you know, you know, you're foreclosing on your house. You can't pay the bills. And you and your wife are fighting over the bills. And now your kid has to sit around and hear you and mom fight over the whole thing because you chose to just not believe God because you just felt like that ski-doo was something you really had to have or whatever it was. Man, the enemy's got all kinds of arrows. Yeah, I know I made a commitment to this woman, but man, there's a gal down at the grocery store, man. She's a checker. She's been winking at me. Made me feel good. I got her number. I know I made this commitment. You know what? I'm going to put the shield down. There's all kinds of scenarios that I could bring out from the word of God. You see, the shield of faith is knowing the word of God and then saying, I'm gonna believe it and I'm gonna trust it and I'm gonna live it out even if I don't like it, even if it doesn't make me feel good. I'm just gonna believe what God says and I'm gonna live by it. I want you to know something. Save you a lot of heart pain and heartache. Number five, uh, that you're battle ready when you know and understand God's salvation. Verse 17 says, take the helmet of salvation. Let me tell you something. One of the great ways Satan goofs us all up is making us feel like we're not saved. In all my years here dealing with lots of different age brackets of people, can't tell you how many times. And Rick, I'll bet you'd agree with this. Probably the number one thing we deal with is eternal security, assurance of our faith. People feel like, oh man, you know what I did last week or last month or whatever. There's no way I'm saved. 
And if Satan can make you think that somehow you lost your salvation, man, you're toast. You're just, you're just, you're a goner. And so it's important to understand your salvation. And basically there's three aspects to your salvation. And the first aspect is your past. God's salvation frees you from the penalty of your sin. We call this justification. That's the big $10 word. Once you gave your life to Jesus Christ, at that very moment, the penalty of sin, which was death, he, he solved. And now God sees you, watch this, watch this, just as if you'd never Sin, justification. Romans 6 says, for the wages of sin is death. That's the penalty of sin, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the first thing you need to understand about your salvation is it took care of the penalty of your sin, which was death. That's the past. But the second part of salvation deals with the present. God's salvation frees you from the power of sin. We call this sanctification. So once you gave your life to Christ, you don't have to worry about death. He took care of that, justification. He now sees you just as if you'd never sinned. But now that you have Jesus living in you, you now have a power source greater than the sin that's in you. And God wants to continue to sanctify your life. In other words, he wants you to become more and more and more transformed into the image of his son. That's sanctification. I look a whole lot more like Jesus than I did the day I gave my life to Christ. Now, you're never gonna be Jesus. But I was in this church when I got saved, and I know you could stand up if you were around back then, and many of you were, and go, you know what? I have seen the sanctification process in your life. You knew me when I first gave my life to Christ. And over all of these decades, you've seen the power of God working in me, just as I have in you. And you gotta understand that part of salvation. And the third aspect of salvation is the future. God's salvation frees you from the presence of sin. We call this glorification. We're not there yet. There's coming a day. We're gonna cross the finish line. We're gonna take our last breath down here on planet Earth. We're gonna be in glory and there's no sin in heaven. We won't have to deal with it anymore. That's glorification. So you have justification that deals with the past. You have sanctification that deals with the present. And you have glorification which deals with the future. How horrible would it be if you know, we never got to heaven and we just had to keep battling sin down here? Oh man, that would stink. Having to battle Satan and the demons and our flesh and like, like forever, that would just, but there's coming a day we're gonna cross the finish line. Woo! And guess what? No sin. There won't be in, you, there's no, won't be in the presence of, of, of any sin. Oh man. Um, and then you get to number six, you're battle ready when you know and you understand God's Truth And yes, I, I know this says exactly what I said in number one. 
And I do think that there are elements of these that are exactly alike. But I think in this case, he's talking about an offensive weapon for us. So all of these other things are more defensive. The sword of the spirit, you know, the Machaira, that's an offensive weapon. Let's go, man. Let's go. I got all my stuff on. Now let's go and see if we can cut in to Satan's kingdom. I, I know what the biggest church in Modesto is. And it's not Big Valley, and it's not Cross Point. It's not Shelter Cove. It's not Calvary Chapel. It's not the one church. It's, it's not Redemption Hill. It's not Rooted. The biggest church in town is Satan's church. There's a whole lot more people in his church, if you will, than there is this one. In fact, there's more in his church than there is all of our churches combined. And let's take our sword once we got all of our, you know, defensive stuff on and let's go win some people to Christ. Let's go love our actual neighbors, man. Let's, let's figure out how we get out there and do some damage. And then, and then number seven, you're battle ready when you know and you understand the power of prayer. Prayer is one of those things, man, it's unbelievable how powerful it is. Jesus said, you know what? Those of you that are followers of mine, you're gonna do greater things than I've done. What? I've read through the gospels, man. How does that happen? I'll tell you how it happens. This morning, I'm sitting in my chair in my living room, going over my notes, it's early, I'm praying. I literally visualize this, and, and you, some of you will go, yeah, that's Rick. I'm praying, Lord, I just wanna pray for all the churches and the Ukraine, that they would you know, have an impact on people's life. I, I literally see a missile, like I got a silo. And it's like a cruise missile and it's heading, and it's heading, and it lands in the Ukraine on the people, the Christians in those churches. I'm on a pinhole on a map called Modesto, California, and yet every time I pray, I am impacting literally the globe with my prayers. I am doing greater things than Jesus did when he was on this planet, because he can only be at one place at one time in his human body. Man, I can sit in my living room just like you can, and you can literally impact the globe. You can send off missiles anywhere you want. When you pray for the Mexico team, when they're in Mexico, imagine all these missiles, and they're just bam, and they're landing on that team. Our prayers. I think that's an offensive weapon. All right, everybody stand up. I got home last night, Jim, and I did some editing because I thought I would shorten up the message. <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> All right, I want to say these, these seven things out loud together, okay? Here we go. You ready? Put that up there. I'm going to say, put it up on the big jumbotrons. Can you do that? We got it? 
Okay, I'm gonna say that top line and then we're just gonna go through these seven things, okay? Here we go. I'm battle ready when I have... Man, I'm, it wasn't bad. It really, it really wasn't. It was way better than last night's first go around. But we, 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 we can do that. We'll, we'll start again. Okay, we'll do it again. Okay. I'm battle ready when I have. 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 And I'm battle ready when I have. Hey, let me tell you right now. Hopefully that'll rattle around in your brains in the mornings. Father, thanks for our time to be here. Give us a great afternoon, probably hanging out with family and friends and all of that. Thanks, Jesus, for your goodness. And I pray this in your name and all of God's people said. Amen. Amen. Hey, blessings, everybody, okay?